Well, hi, everybody. Merry Christmas and welcome to The Virtue Signal. I'm Bill Whittle with my friend Alfonso Rachel. And this is the show, as you probably know by now, where we try to talk about stuff other than politics, although generally related to politics. Uh, BillWhittle.com is on its reduced uh, holiday uh, schedule. Instead of doing eight or nine shows a week, we're only going to do six or seven uh, this week or so. So here's what we're going to do. Instead of doing uh, two shows this week, as we normally do, and two shows next week, we're going to do one Virtue Signal this week, one Virtue Signal next week. And on account of the holidays, though, I thought we might talk about Christmas. I think that's mm. a great thing to talk about and certainly get people's minds off of the rest of the garbage we have to deal with. I'll start off by saying this. I think, I think American Christmas is, is one of the most brilliant inventions of America. And what I mean by that is, here's a holiday that clearly, clearly has a religious foundation, a religious meaning, and for most Americans, it still does. But you can have a completely secular Christmas. You can have a non-religious Christmas, if you want. A non-secular Christmas, I guess I should say. You can do the whole Santa Claus thing. You know, you can do the reindeer. You can, you can sing all that other stuff. And, and the thing I like about American Christmas is, at least when it's at its best, and for me growing up in the 60s, it's just amazing. It's still my favorite day of the year. The thing I like most about Christmas as an American holiday is... I think it kind of allows every single individual American to kind of dial in or out how much religion they want to that. Now, I know to deeply religious people, they have a problem with that. But the beautiful thing about our country is you don't get to tell other people what you think. You get to, you get to, you get to think and do what you want to do. So all of Christmas is on the board from Santa Claus and uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer um, all the way up to the actual divinity and, and the birth of Christ and so on. I personally, on this spectrum of, hey, Santa Claus versus, you know, no Santa Claus is, is Santa is an acronym for Satan and, and this is all about uh, the birth of Jesus. I, I would put myself probably around eight on the religious scale. Uh, my favorite Christmas carols are all the religious ones, all the classics, you know, um, Deck the Halls and We Three Kings and all the rest of it. But just to take your first take on this uh, little adventure through Christmas, how do you feel about that aspect? Do you see that as a problem or do you see that as a benefit? Man, I'm, I'm going to have to go with both. Uh, you know, there's, there's pros and cons to a lots, lots of things, man. And uh, actually, like, like say, for instance, the, the dilemma I might be dealing with this right now, it's like, which one of us would be Santa and which one would be the elf? I, I, I could be, cause, you know, because I, I kind of feel like the helper here, man. You could be Santa Claus. But then again, I got the beard, you know, so. Oh, you, got the, uh, you got that going. And I have this elfish kind of look. In fact, I have right. pictures of me, which I probably shouldn't show, but I might, uh, of me with like Spock ears, but taken when I was in freshman in college, and I look like, I look like a six foot one, hundred twenty pound Vulcan elf, <laughs> which is not a pretty sight, by the way, with a big afro. Yeah, I, I think you're gonna win out on the elf. Well, thing, you got right? the beard, yeah. so you're speaking from authority. You're the authority figure here. So ah, so, and, so the, lay and on. the belly, lay on. Right? Okay, so um. Yeah, the pros, the pros and cons to it. Um, when when people can make um, something like Christmas, which is supposed to be celebrating the birth of Christ, not the birth date, but it's a time of year where we can just agree. It's like, okay, a savior was born to us. The savior was born to us, right? And the Bible actually does, from, from the studies that I've done, it actually does give the birth date, but that's a whole other thing. I hope folks will check that out when I, uh, I did a video um, that asks, is, does the Bible make the birth of Christ knowable? Uh, and uh, which I think it does. But besides the point, when you have a holiday that we can kind of decide 
what we're going to do with it, I can't help but think that that's also indicative of taking religion and making it what you want to be also. Yeah, it's a little, uh, it's got a little moral relativism to it, doesn't it? Yes, yes. But however, you know, like you said, this is America and you can do what you want with it, but be mindful of, and whether the consequences are positive or negative, negative, there's going to be consequences to it. And as we've seen, a lot of people may be dismayed about a lot of the commercialism that goes into Christmas. Uh, we've taken Christmas and made it to be what we want it to be, what gifts we want to give. Uh, you see a lot of people out there hoarding the Christmas. Black Friday comes up and they go out there and they want to get all these deals. And, oh, and why is that? You know, why did they do it? Is it, is it they want to give all these gifts because they want to try to redeem themselves? So how look at see, I'm a good person because I got you these gifts and I'm thoughtful and all that sort of stuff. And I want to get them at the most redeeming prices. Um, and it kind of takes away from us remembering who the real redeemer is. And but at the same time, you know, you have um, there's there's still a lot of joy that goes into it. Also, you know, the, the singing, the cooking, uh, the, the joy of opening up the presents and all that sort of stuff. Um, who's to say, you know, how a person is supposed to enjoy themselves if it doesn't really come at the expense of somebody else? It's supposed to be giving. So that's a good thing also, uh, or a decent thing, or however we want to put it. But m still, the thing that I'm going to fall back on is, folks, don't forget, you know, even if a person is not really, which, like, like I said, I'm not. I'm not a religious person. I don't follow religion. I follow Jesus. Um, and Jesus was murdered. By, by religion and murdered by the state as well. Um, so, or religious zealotry, I, I, I should say. And so it's like these things I, I wouldn't want people to forget. And let me, if I could say one thing about like even the, um, the themes of Christmas, like Santa Claus, because you will have those who will be very legalistic and say, well, we shouldn't have Christmas trees and we shouldn't have, because the Bible says, you know, things about Christmas trees and the Bible and, and we shouldn't have Santa Claus. And, and I'm like, well, actually you could be using those things to teach people about Jesus, like for, for a child, you can use those things to teach. Uh, Santa Claus, you don't have to necessarily just see him as this person that you look for, you know, coming down the chimney. Uh, Santa Claus is clothed in red, just the, way, the same way our Lord and Savior was, was mocked with a red uh, with a red robe. Some, some variations may say purple, or even the stripes that he bore from the flogging that he took. He was definitely coated in red. And after he was killed, he descended into the spiritual prison, where which is also a very hot place, when you, which you could look at his Santa coming down the chimney, which could be a very hot place. If you forget to put it out, oh, that's but really anyway, interesting, man. So we could use these things, or even the tree. Now, there's verses in the Bible, Bible that says that uh, a craftsman should not cut down a tree and adorn it with silver and stuff like that. But people forget that it's a craftsman. It's not just a tree that you're erecting. This craftsman is going to whittle this thing down until it looks like an idol. It's going to take the shape of something. But the bottom line is, is that this tree is cut down and it's raised again in glory. It's lit and it's and it's adorned and stuff like that. It's the same way that Jesus is the descendant of Jesse. And the Bible says that Jesse, it, that he descends from the stump of Jesse. That's a cut off tree. And this stump of Jesse uh, is also reflected in the staff of Aaron, which blooms with new life. It blooms with almonds. And this is associated with the Ark of the Covenant. Well, this is a dead stick. It's a dead branch that's cut off and there's a stump left. If this branch assume, uh, takes on bloom of new almonds, well, that's a stick that's brought back to life. And this is a picture of Christ who was cut down and resurrected in glory. So once again, I think people, when they get legalistic about these things, they miss the opportunity to teach about Jesus rather than just say, no, we're gonna, not going to do this. And then you just missed a very I, dare I say, teachable moment? You know, Zoe, honestly, I, 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 I get so much from talking to you. Uh, most of it is just voices in my head. 
<laughs> but you, you, you gave me an idea about something I never thought about before. So dealing with the Christmas tree, you could make the case that a, that a, that a tree growing in nature is man in his natural state, right? That's what mm. we just out there in the animal world. We're just trees and animals and bears and humans and all the rest of it. And, and the idea of taking a tree, which is a beautiful thing in its natural form, and bringing it indoors and not only civilizing it in a way, but glorifying it, putting lights on it and ornaments and so on. You are you could make the case that what you're doing to the tree is essentially what you're trying to do to the human spirit. That 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 the entire idea of Christmas is to take what is just a normal, average, everyday humdrum existence in nature, and for this small period of a couple of weeks or so, elevate this thing, illuminate it, ornament it. And turn it into a thing of not just natural beauty, but unnatural beauty. Mm. <laughs> that's heavy, man. And that's what it's about. Because that would be, obviously, we're talking about something supernatural. We were made to not be subject to the laws of nature. Un unfortunately, that was forfeit. And that's something that we're looking for to be restored. And that's where we rely on Yeshua from that. As, as, as uh, C.S. Lewis puts it, um, you know, when he talks about being hungry, it's like, well, hunger has to be facilitated by something. If I feel hungry, that means that there's something to facilitate that need. I feel the need to breathe. If I feel the need to breathe, that means that there's something to facilitate that need. Well, we also feel the need to remain healthy. We have the survival instinct that we that says that, no, I want to continue living. Well, if we want to continue living, then there must be something to facilitate that need. And obviously that's not something that we've been able to do ourselves. That would be supernatural. That is, a, uh, obviously we see in nature, there's going to be entropy, there's going to be decay until something dissolves completely. Well, there's, we don't want to do that. <laughs> we don't want to dissolve completely. Well, not, before, uh, not before dinner anyway, no. Right, right. So, you know, and, you know, if we're hungry, we, we want that need definitely to be felt uh, met before we dissolve completely. So that being said, this is who we're relying on. This is who we're thanking when this season comes. And he's the one who's been proven to do it. No other religion or worldview or science has been proven to be able to facilitate that need. But there were witnesses who would testify. We, hey, we saw this guy die and we saw him die in a very public way. He, he wasn't killed in battle with any sort of obscurities or anything like that. He was a soldier who died in a whole nother way. And we saw the whole thing. We, it's, there, no mistaking that was him. He was stripped naked. We know that that was the guy. So and then and all the press was there not to be all the I'm press not trying was there. to be cynical but basically that's but the truth serious. right i mean this was a major public event well it, definitely i mean that's why the bible is called a testament you know and when you have the ecclesia that's gathered the the the, the assembly is not just the nation when you break down the assembly or in hebrew it's going to be eda it means witnesses those who can testify you got a nation of people who saw this. And when he came back, there was people who testified to the point of bloody, torturous death. It's like, look, man, it ain't like we saw Elvis. Okay, no, maybe I didn't see Elvis. Okay, okay, you, you, you made your point. You're not going to torture me in this. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. So just, just to elaborate on this, mm. uh, you know, this whole Elvis is alive thing. Somebody claims they saw somebody driving a Cadillac a block and a half away, and they sure look like Elvis. But it wasn't like Elvis was in a town square surrounded by 3,000 people, got up on a stage, you know, four years after he died and started singing <laughs> uh, Blue Suede Shoes, right? I mean, this, this, this wasn't just a glance at a distance kind of thing. 
Yes, yes. This, this is the real king. You know, not just the king of rock and roll. Actually, when you consider rolling the stone away, Jesus really was the king of rock and roll. And uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, he is the rock, you know, oh, that's, you, you know, right on, you know. And, and so that being said, there was this testimony and, you know, and we have the manuscripts for it. And like I said, we have the, the testimony to the point of torturous death. The people says, no, man, I can't go back on this. We know what we saw. Um, so with that, that is what we're celebrating. And, you know, that's, and if we could, if we could get that straight, I think Christmas itself, cause man, I don't know, man, there's, you know, you got to have Christmas in your heart. That's for sure. You there can't you let go. anybody, t- you, you can't let anybody there you take go. that that's away it. It's from not, you. It just can't be another date on the calendar with right. all of this anxiety about my God, did I forget to buy a present for somebody that'll ever speak to me again kind of thing. Yes. Yes. And when you have that, you know, I mean, because I see the, the challenges to it, people trying to take Christmas away from it and, and not hearing as many songs or seeing the specials, you know, or whichever. There's a, that, there's, there's a nostalgia that goes along with it that I guess is kind of being, it's losing its luster. But, you know, when you have the peace of the Lord, though, it's like, you know, despite what's going around and everything being covered up with masks and all that sort of stuff, it's like, you know, nah, you, you, you can't take that away from us. The, um, see, this is, what I, this is what I meant in the introduction about why, why American Christmas is so... Uh, I think just so universally appealing is because of its adaptability and and its personalization. Uh, Obviously, when we talk about Santa Claus, I remember being a young kid and uh, the first time somebody explained to me that Santa Claus was a a derivation of St. Nicholas, I remember thinking, well, that's really cool. That's really, that's really cool. Um, Mm -hmm. And, and so, obviously, Santa Claus is based on a historical uh, Christian, uh, St. Nicholas, who I think mostly in Bulgaria handed out gift to children and so on. But here's when I try to think about what it is about American Christmas that produces this unique feeling in me. And we're not going to give away any spoilers here. But when you're a, a, a kid in America, for most middle-class kids in America anyway, middle-American kid, most kids in America, period, there's, a, there's a, a period in your life when you're old enough to understand what's going on where one day a year, magic is visible before your very eyes. And that, to me, is what makes Christmas different than Thanksgiving or anything else, is, is that sense that you go to bed, you wake up, and there's evidence that magic has occurred. First of all, there's the bike you wanted. That you, and you wrote a letter for it. So he obviously got the letter. But there's other evidence, and compelling evidence too. You left out three or four cookies. Now there's just a couple crumbs, maybe one with a bite out of it. You know, you left out a glass of milk. The milk has been drained. That didn't drain itself, you know. And, <laughs> and the, the, that magical element of, of it is the thing that I re- remember the most about Christmas. For me, without question, my favorite part of every Christmas was that period of time, which was probably never more than much more than an hour, may have been less than that, but it seemed like about six or seven years, between when you wake up on Christmas morning and you can finally drag your parents out of bed on Christmas morning, that little window right in there, (laughs) when you kind of look out into the living room and see that a miracle has occurred, that is something that is so deep in so many of us that I've never, ever lost touch with it. And all of the things about Christmas, the smell of the Christmas tree, Christmas music, colored lights, all of it, on some level, on some fundamental level, because of this societal 
thing that we do on Christmas. It connects me to a to a time when 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 I say magic, I don't mean magic like ta-da magic. I mean miraculous <laughs> kind of high level good kind of miraculous is much better word than magic. It's something miraculous has happened overnight and that it's connected to to this holiday. It's connected to Jesus and all the rest of it and his messenger that jolly old elf you know in his in his in his red outfit. But but the simple awe of it and 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 the and the I I just remember being so compelled by the cookies were there. I put them there and now they're gone. And I poured the milk and now it's gone. Here's all this stuff. What more proof do you need? And that quality to me is what makes American Christmas, despite all of its commerciality and the presence and, and all the rest of it, that's what makes Christmas for me something I don't think I'm ever going to grow out of. And I certainly hope to God that I never do grow out of. I never, ever want to get over that, that sense of Christmas morning. Heck yeah, man. That's right. And you know, the thing is, the, the, it's, it's, it's a good way to teach about miracles and it's, it's a good way to, you know, to, um, you know, to, to the miracle is in the, t the teaching of this miracle is, you know, you didn't deserve the presence. You were bad. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's right. And it's like, and you, and you go down and you get this gift and it's like you, the miracle that's taught here is the miracle of grace. You know, we have the song, you know, he knows when you've been sleeping, knows it. And we're thinking about Santa Claus who's watching us, but we have a merciful God who is justified in his wrath, who would even take all that upon himself for what we actually deserved and say, you know what? I'm going to give you the gift of eternal life. All I need you to do is just trust me. Just that's trust all me. I need. Just trust me. And you know, Despite the things that we've done, and, and and of course he says, now once you trust me and you accept that, don't sin anymore. You know, if you really love me, and because when you love me, chances are really good you're not going to do dirty by your neighbor. I'm not this egomaniac. Like, you have to love me, and I love you. Have to love me, and if you don't, you're going to go to hell. That's not where he's at. It's like, look, if you love me and you understand that, then you won't do dirty to your neighbor. That's what I'm concerned with, right? So when when we when we go and we see these gifts. It's the teachable moment of, because that's another thing that people are concerned with is like, you know, in the idolization of the tree or idolization of this person who's going to come down the chimney, who's going to give you these gifts. And then if you, if you sit on this tree, you're going to, you're going to receive these things from the tree. And that's the benefit from, from what you've done. Um, and once again, don't sacrifice the teachable moment. Say, okay, now we, we considered this and now that you can relate to that and you understand the association of the gift despite that it being unmerited and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, now, yeah, let, me, yeah, yeah. Let, let me teach you about this guy. Yeah, you didn't earn um, this. I'm going to give it to you anyway. Right, right. Now, from there, now maybe we could work out a deal. You know what I'm saying? No, I'm saying. But, but, and also when you talk about the magic, the magi who came, uh, even the magi. That's where the who word had comes their, from. Right? Even those who had their traditions, despite not being the custodians of the law the way that the, uh, the the nation of Israel was supposed to be, or particularly the Levites, when you had the Magi who even knew what the deal was, they even knew what presents to bring because these were supposed to be thing, the things that were offered uh, in the tabernacle from from uh, from the treasury to uh, which, you know, could have been, you know, anything from from uh, gold to to fragrances. They knew the appropriate blend of fragrances to blend. It's like, look, man, we're not just bringing this because this is treasured stuff and high priced <laughs> stuff. Yeah. We were, the we're three wise men came with their <laughs> gifts. One brought shake and bake. <laughs> the other brought hamburger helper and uh and the third brought a a, a box of low quality wine 
<laughs> Man, I, I, that, that's a punchline right there. Uh, but, you know, but the thing is, you know, they knew exactly what gifts to bring. They knew the, the, the stuff to, uh, to, to bring to the king. It's like, yeah, this is, this is the royal stuff. So even that in itself, when we're going to teach about magic, it's like, hey, man, this is the applicable way to actually teach about it. There's the magic that's in the season right yeah. there. Because, mm. I mean, and now, and this is something else I hadn't really thought about before. Um, first of all, Christmas is, is about the birth of Christ. Everybody knows, well, biblical people know that he was born in the spring and that, and that Christmas was basically trans, was grafted onto the Saturnalia, which is mm -hmm. the feast of the winter solstice. And this, this particular holiday, which is December 21st on the calendar, is as ancient a holiday as, as, as humans are. The, the, the December 21st uh, winter solstice is, is because of the Earth's tilt. If you live in the Northern Hemisphere, uh, on December 21st, that's the lowest the sun will get in the sky. It's the shortest day, and from that point forward, it gets longer again. And if you're primitive man, pre-Christian pre man, certainly, this belief that the sun is going to keep going unless we do something is a pretty powerful fear. And so the whole winter solstice, which just a that's just an astronomical event that occurs on December 21st, shortest day of the year in the Northern Hemisphere, longest in the Southern. That that idea that the sun is going down, oh, 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 oh yeah, yeah, here we go, we get another year. So so that sense of rebirth is is very ancient and universal, and that's undoubtedly why, uh, through whatever mechanism, and there's certainly scholars that know the mechanism, that's why the, the, the idea of the birth of Christ was was put here instead of in the spring, which is historically where it happened. But the but the thing I wanted to get to here was that for those for those of us out there that are watching that are trying to find a way to to, to keep the the religious aspect and then the kind of non-religious Santa Claus aspect in in some <laughs> kind of balance. Looking back on it, Christmas is really as a child was my first real connection to Jesus as an individual person, and. One thing we can agree about the crucifixion is it's generally a pretty grisly business. It's not exactly the kind of thing you might want to start your three or four year olds on about, you know, hammering nails through the through the hands and and all the rest of it. So so speaking as just an American kid growing up when I did, my first real understanding of this Jesus character was that it was this divine baby that was born on this day, that a star shone down, that wise men from the east came, born in a manger all of the humility that that represents, right? I mean, when you get to the nativity story, you're getting to the foundational ethos of Christianity. And to me, that is, is that this, is that this most uh, regal figure, the, the king mm. of all kings in history, wasn't born in a palace. It, 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 there's something extraordinarily democratizing about that, and so, mm. and something of, that that has fundamental humility built into it. There, it's it's very easy to imagine a religion, and many religions do imagine this, where the where the holiest creature is born in a golden palace, you know, and there's you know that that idea of, of birth in a manger is everything, and so and so the whole Christmas American Christmas myth, however however people may find it to be off target in terms of more commercial than usual. Speaking just as an American kid, there was a really gentle kind of a shoehorning effect into introducing this character. There's no question that the Christmas story, that this, oh yeah, some kid was born. It's not, it's not just another kid, right? We have 
Hark the Herald Angels Sing. We have, the, we have the, the star in the sky. We have this trek of these wise men across the desert on camels. We have all of it. So all of this event around a, an infant and all of the all of the miracles are yet to come, but the kind of horrific ending is yet to come, and it's not really the ending. It's the, it's the crucifixion, which isn't the ending. We celebrate that on Easter. But there's something um, gentle about, mm. about the way Christmas introduces children to this Western philosophy. And speaking as a guy who was a kind of an FU atheist for most of his life, uh, you can you are certainly in America free to my wife is studying for the US citizenship test which she's going to take on the 29th of December and uh one of the questions is what is freedom of religion in constitutional terms freedom of religion means you can have any religion or no religion and i'm 100% behind that but this aspect of it is built into christianity and america is is whether you're a christian or not America is founded on Christian principles, Judeo-Christian principles, but mostly Christian principles. I've said this before, it needs to be said again, especially today. The entire idea of Christianity is that we have an internal judge and that we have an internal sense of virtue that exists in the form of, of, of divinity through belief in Christ. And since we are, and since we have an internal judge and an internal guide, we don't need to be externally told what to do. This is why the Founding Fathers said that our form of government is suitable only to a religious people and to no other, because they understood that if we're going to create a society based on freedom, where people can where we essentially leave people alone, then they're going to have to be pretty good people in order for this to work. And if they're not, if they're just a bunch of schmucks and jerks, then we can't have this kind of government. And so whether you believe in, in, in Christ or not, and you believe in the divinity of Christ or not, the fundamental idea of Christianity as an internal guide and, and conscience and, and, and judge and all the rest of it is built into the freedom we have. And taking Islam as an example, Islam is a religion that basically says we will not allow things like alcohol, music, uh, sex, gambling, drinking. I already said drinking, but I'm a fan of drinking. <laughs> We are gonna we're gonna forbid that. We're not going to allow you to be tempted from it. We're going to make we're going to make your virtue external and it's gonna be enforced by a powerful religious state. And and if we catch you doing something you don't like, if you're lucky, we'll hit you with a stick. Christianity, on the other hand, says, yeah, you can have Vegas and you can have strip clubs, you can have bars, you can have all the stuff you want to, and you can do whatever you want to with it. But you will know. The difference between right and wrong, and if you continue to do things that you know are going to be wrong, you know you're going to pay the price for it. And and this all kind of comes back to, you know, again, this kind of weird sort of conflagration that I find very beautiful. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sake, right? It's not just here. It's here's some stuff. We're, we're going to expect you to be virtuous mm. children. And if you're virtuous children, then then the miracle will happen. And if you're not, then it doesn't. Indeed, man. And, and you know, uh, it, it makes it reminds me of uh, our buddy, uh, Andrew Breitbart, you know, in conversations that we had. And he, he was he wasn't Christian, uh, but he says, I'll tell you what, though, man, I wouldn't I would not want to live anyplace else. This Judeo-Christian foundation that we have is the safest place to be. Yep. This is the safest place to be and thrive. So he goes, I would I would highly recommend that nobody tries to get away from that. 
He says, don't try to undermine that. Um, so, you know, I, I, that's, a, that's a word to the wise. Uh, Can do I just I throw one thing in there without interrupting your thought? Oh, sure. Yeah. I'm sorry, man. I know I've been, I've been going on a lot. Um, I just want to address this, right? You don't have to believe in the, in the fundamental religious assumption underneath this, but if you have a society that is imbued with the belief that the life of, any, of, of a newborn baby girl is worth more than the entire galaxy, right? If it is greater than all of creation because it's alive, it's unique, there's never been anyone like it before or since, that it, its value is greater than that of, of all of the dead matter in the universe. If you have a belief system like that, that starts like that, then your attitude about that individual and that individual's worth and life is going to stay with them throughout that kid's life and throughout yours as well. If you if you make human life disposable as an infant or as a baby or on the other end of the spectrum where it's almost euthanasia on demand if you make if you make human life something that is essentially just another value choice or commodity just like can I afford this car you're not just the effect of that doesn't just affect the person who you may be uh, making that decision about. It it affects how all of us look at all of each other. And if you take away that belief that every single human life is is irreplaceable and divine, then once that door is opened, then you can kill just as many people as you want to and justify it any way you want to. But mm. if you if you maintain this belief that every single person is a unique and precious individual, you never get to that point. Indeed, man. And, you know, and the founders, they knew what was up with that. And that's, you know, in, in, in the founding documents, that's why they say appealing to the supreme judge of the world. Well, in the word of God, that's what the Lord is, is called. He is called this, uh, the judge of the world. And so they knew who they were appealing to. And they knew where these rights come from and that you can't be arbitrary about these rights. They come from one particular place. And, and in the Constitution, it's the job of, of our state to just guard that, you know, not take liberties with it, but guard it. And, um, you know, when when we have that, just like you said, you're, you can't be flippant, you know, about what people's rights are. And that's and, and for me, my Constitution is the word of God. And that's demonstrated right in the very first page. You're going to have a tree of knowledge of good and evil and people associate knowledge with power, even if it's power of evil. It's still power. And I want it. Well, here's this tree of life. Hey, you're welcome to it at any time you want. But this tree of knowledge of good and evil, uh, you, you're just attend to it, but don't eat from it. Right? That's right, because the, the tree of knowledge is the tree of power over people's lives, over other That's people. That's right. And when, and when people start, when they get hungry for this pursuit of knowledge, life will become disposable to them. And we see that all the time. Well, Adam and Eve, with that you know temptation that they got, leapfrog over that tree of life and say, yo, let me get from that tree of knowledge, good and evil. And lo and behold, death has dominion over us. So we see that same behavior today when you have people who are obsessed with power, obsessed with information, and lord their information over other people, well, the lives of other people become disposable. Um, you know, the thing about, you know, when, you're, when, you're, when you were speaking about uh, this humility, Man, what amazing humility it is that you've got God, essentially the supreme architect of the universe, is I'm going to be born to you guys basically in this in this manger. And the first helpless. people who are going to... Utterly right, helpless, right? Right. Who's going to... Who's the first witnesses, just like you said, they're not going to be royal attorney. They're going to be shepherds. Shepherds out in the field who is... The lowest say, of the low. Right. And he's going to be like, come check this out. Right. And then a couple of years later, here come the magi. But the beauty of this is, is that you're going to get this message 
that is going to be a fulfillment. You got the Ark of the Covenant itself, right? The Ark of the Covenant, its dimensions are pretty much the same as a common manger. And what's placed in this Ark is going to be the law. And the Lord is the law in flesh, who is also called the cornerstone. Well, the, sto- the, the law was written on stone tablets and placed into the ark, which has the same dimensions as this manger. But the word for ark being Aaron also means coffin. What do you need to put the law in a coffin for? Because the law is going to die. So all these pictures are set up and these are the things that we're celebrating. It's not so much that he's born to us. Right. That he would also die for us because that's the only way that God could die. It's like I'm a mortal, man. The only way I can die is to be born human. And then I can die as one of you to atone for your sins. And these are the things that we're like looking at that I would hope folks would take advantage of. Like even we're talking about this kid that's born in a manger. It's like, well, what does that mean? You know, why, why is he born in a manger? Why did we have angels that showed up and testify with this? Because, because on there the was ar- no room at the inn. No room at the end, right? right? So even so, we're even the lowest people because the, we're not talking about the Holiday Inn, and we're not talking about the Hilton or the or the or the Trump Tower either. No room <laughs> at the end means 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 that there is no room for you in this lowest of low taverns. Mm-hmm. You're not even you don't even qualify to get into the Motel Six because we're full. <laughs> you get to you get to sleep out in the tool shed or yes. give birth out in the tool shed. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 that kind of thing. And, and the beauty of it is, is that on this ark, you're going to have angels that are sitting right above it, and it's the ark of the testimony. And then what happens when he's born? Angels show up and say, hey, we're here to testify. This is the real thing. So it's it's these pictures that line up, these pictures that were set up back then that has to borrow. Like, you know, some people think that the New Testament was borrowed from, you know, whether it be Roman myths or Grecian myths. Or anything. No, it didn't have to borrow anything from any of that stuff. This was all set up very nicely in the Old Testament to be fulfilled in the New Testament. Matter of fact, it's actually the other way around. It was the Old Testament that a lot of these myths borrowed from because of the experiences that they had and then built their own narratives around those. So, you know, when these things are, like I said, some people, they get legalistic about these things and they want to say, well, we shouldn't be doing this. Or they start to, they look for other things to frown upon Christmas. You know, there's, there's so much hunger and there's so much, you know, this, and it's like, look, you know, Christmas saying about guilt. If you really feel guilty about it, well, you know, it's that's what the other 364 days of the year are for. Yeah, don't feel guilty. Instead, be thankful. You'll you'll actually do better to the world by being thankful for what you have, being grateful for what you have, and you'd be surprised on how you could turn that gratitude into a benefit from other people rather than just okay. Well, I think now's the season for for feeling guilty and spreading guilt. And it's like, no, that that's not going to fill anybody. Let me um, wrap this up with um, with asking you about just a couple of your favorite Christmas memories as a boy. Do you have anything that stands out? <laughs> oh, man. You know, d- definitely. Um, did you get your first uh, drum set for Christmas? Wow. Did my first drum set for No, no. Actually, the, 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 my favorite Christmas uh, memory, we're getting Star Wars toys. All right. Uh, I love Star Wars toys. Uh, and... Drums for Christmas? I don't remember. I think I might have gotten drums for my birthday, and I destroyed them. Uh, and and, uh, and my mom's like, "I'm not getting you another drum set." No, no. <laughs> ever, I wanted drums ever. when I was a kid. And my parents <laughs> had the good sense to say no. <laughs> but yeah, in, indeed, man, it's like uh, definitely getting the uh, the Star Wars toys. I love the Star Wars toys. I love. Uh, I did love. You know. Uh, family opening up uh my sisters you know opening up uh, presents around the tree and just being happy and stuff like that. So yeah, those were those were great memories. There's uh. Again, it's it's not it's not a, a middle class thing or an upper class thing, lower class thing. It's just 
I have so many memories, especially when I would spend Christmas with my with my wonderful cousins in Pennsylvania, where all I can really remember about Christmas is a blur of hands and 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 wrapping paper flying through the air. You know, it's almost like it's almost like you had like a like a wood chipper opening those presents. You know, <laughs> uh, there I did a show at PJTV. I think it was one of the very first shows I ever did. I'll see if I can dig it up. If I can find it, we'll repost it about some of my favorite Christmas presents. And I was a big fan of Major Matt Mason. And I had this thing called Johnny Astro, which used Bernoulli effect. And, and you had like a little radar dish in the control tower. And you could fly a balloon all the way around the room. And that was magic to me too. But for me, uh, and this will connect to many people out there of a certain age, uh, Christmas really started in probably late September, I guess, when the winter edition of the Sears catalog came out. Especially if you're living overseas where you don't get to go to a Sears store. The, the Sears catalog, for, for those of us of uh, this particular age group, uh, I guess it must have, I mean, it, it's been around forever, but for, for those of us in a 15, 20-year age group, there would come this shiny book and be all kinds of stuff in it, but we'd immediately just rip over to the toy section. And there were your, it was like a menu for avarice. You know, it's like, <laughs> are you kidding me? And I always remember there was always this always this one thing I never did get, and I, I guess I understand why. Always wanted this go kart with a with a metal flake blue helmet. Wanted that real bad. But with that said, I never had a bad Christmas. I never had a disappointing Christmas. And and even when my parents divorced, and when they when they were in you know when my mom was in kind of tough financial shape, it, it just always happened. And usually you find the most beautiful Christmas stories are the ones that are the ones about most hardship. Uh, Truman Capote wrote uh, a, a story. I've forgotten the name of it. It uh, might have been called A Christmas Carol after uh, the, the, the Dickens classic, where he and, and the woman who was taking care of him were so poor. And I think he got he made her like a kite or something. And and it and it was so humble and it was so beautiful. And 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 that you said right at the beginning, you just keep, you know, keep Christmas in your heart. Uh, I occasionally see videos of kids going outside to see their Christmas present and having a temper tantrum because the Lamborghini's the wrong color, you know? Uh, oh, man. Despite all, the, despite all of the commercial pressures and all of the deadlines and all of the buying and all, all of it, there is, there is a universal, in the West, tradition of making this a day, not of rest, but a day of, of peace and warmth and 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 goodwill goodwill to all men i bring you a, a good tidings of great joy that shall be among all people and um peace on earth goodwill toward men is is the ultimate message of it and in a world that uh seems to be more and more dominated by people who not only hate uh freedom but hate christmas and that is the living definition of communism uh <laughs> leave those people to their own personal miseries Pray for them to have some some awakening to at least some sense of joy for one day in their lives, but don't let them ruin your Christmas. Don't let them uh, ruin your idea of a future for uh, Christmas or this country. Some ideas are much bigger than than mask mandates and 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 petty politicians, and and this is one of them. And um and the future of Christmas just depends on on you and depends on how you are willing to to make. Uh, that mental adjustment, at least on on uh, for at minimum twenty four hour period, do the week if you can, but don't um, don't let the magic go away. 
because when, when American kids stop having that miracle in their lives, they turn into something different. And, and what that different thing is, is well, it's worse. Uh, that'll do it for this edition, the special Christmas edition of the Virtue Signal made possible by all of our members at BillWhittle.com, who about a year ago now stepped up and, and we had a bunch of membership renewals. And, and if uh, you missed that last year, we sure could use your help in the year coming because we got a lot of work to do. But it allowed us to get uh, my, my good friend Zoe uh, into this thing and learn so much from him every week. So um, any, uh, any Christmas uh, message for the, for the viewers out there, Zoe? Yeah, I think you summed it up just fine, man. It's goodwill to men, peace on earth, Merry Christmas, and Merry Christmas. Right on. <laughs> so, from, so, from all of us here at this little tiny little uh, Santa's workshop here at BillWhittle.com, uh, Merry Christmas to all of you, members and non-members alike, and um, and keep the faith because the faith is worth keeping. And we'll see you next week uh, right here on the Virtue Show.